Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross from our Grand Forks studios. And um, at the top of the next hour, we will have our Straight Talk segment. But first, we're going to take our monthly saunter down literary lane. And we're, we're not just sauntering down literary lane. We're going to Norway, of all places. And so, um, yeah, g- good luck pronouncing these these names accurately and stuff, right? We have to say a special <laughs> prayer to the Holy Spirit spirit as we begin this one. It makes me think of uh, Monsignor Dennis Gonzing, who's a priest of our diocese, and in seminary we refer to him as the Norwegian nightmare. You know, Yes, a, yes indeed. And if, if you know who he is, it's really uh, funny because he's so <laughs> mild-mannered. And so, but he's our, I think our, well, we had Monsignor Anderson, Monsignor yeah. Skonzing, and Father Dave Stevenson were the three mm-hmm. Norwegian yeah, ethnic yeah. priests in our diocese and at you the know, time. He, so. um, yeah, he, he he had a great jump shot on the basketball. Oh board, yes, so, oh, and mean, sharp elbows, <laughs> sharp elbows as oh, well. Oh really? Yes, okay. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but we are joined as always, and it's been a while since we've had our brother priest from our diocese with us on this segment, Father uh, Slattery. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Thanks, fathers, and good to be with you again, Nancy. And yes. we have we have Nancy Gord with us. Welcome back, Nancy. Well, I'm so happy to be here with all of you. So, Father Slatter, you're taking a break from Marquette to join us this morning, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, just in my hotel room looking across at St. Peter's Cathedral. Uh, so, get, get some inspiration for the for the reality of Norway. Kind of very good, very good. Well, we're so glad you took time to be with us. Right, right. Imagine yeah. that you're uh, adjacent to a fjord looking out onto the deep blue sea. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, well, got, Lake Superior kind of yeah. does that for you. <laughs> it does, yep. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, the book that we're going to be talking about here is actually, um, it's, uh, we're going to be focusing on, if I understand correctly, the first part of a trilogy, um, the trilogy called Kristen La daughter by a Norwegian author, a lady by the name of Sigrid Unset, uh, born in the late 1800s, passed away in the mid-1900s. These uh, three books, of which it consists, uh, were written in the early 1920s. The Wreath is the uh, first of the three. And um, just to uh, set the stage here, uh, Nancy, why don't we have you go ahead and start by giving us a, a little bit of an introduction to this work. Well, as you said, it's a trilogy, and the first book, The Wreath, covers Kristen as a young girl who is growing up in Norway in the 1300s. She is much beloved by her father, uh, who arranges a marriage for her with a steady, respectable man. So we see her as a little girl and through her teenage years and very young adulthood, and what, what kind of drives this is the nature of marriage, the union of men and women. And, of course, <laughs> she falls in love with a man who is not her betrothed, and that leads her down a path that takes her away from her parents and away from God. So there's a lot in this book that deals with the physical nature of man versus the spiritual aspects of our lives. Beautiful descriptions of Norway. And her dad, the author's father, was an archaeologist. And so around her, and he collaborated with her mother. So there are a lot of artifacts and bits about history. She is well known, the author, for her medieval epics. 
It is a skillful way to transport the reader into not just a different time, but that place, and to really make it feel tangible in ways. And, yeah. and I think it too. It, it, it's I think it's very appropriate to give just a kind of a little quick background on Sigrid herself. That she herself was living at a time she was in Norway, and it's a it was a Lutheran Christian uh, culture she grew up in, but Lutheran. But in her life, she actually experienced um, falling in love with a married man who then went through divorce and annulment, and they started a family, and then he, uh, he was not faithful to her eventually, and she gathered his children, her children, brought them back to Norway, and, and she found comfort in the Catholic faith, the Catholic religion, yeah. where then she herself was in this environment where um, it, it was not easy being being Catholic or being supported by the environment. Well, why bring those themes up? They show up in this literary work. You think about, well, from the transition from the period of the Vikings to the Christian culture, the Christian is is in, and, and these different themes as well that are, are showing up. So there's there's a tremendous uh, study one could do of the, the author's life and then this her most famous work, author. Right, and the and the parallels in her experiences to those of Christians. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed, Father Slattery. Um, uh, as as you think about this uh, work, and you, you had shared with me that uh, this is something that um, I don't know if you were the one who originated the idea for us uh, talking about this um, uh, this uh, particular segment. But I know that uh, you've been familiar with it for a long time, and it uh, you know holds a, a dear place in your heart. Um, what are kind of your um, uh, sort of opening? kind of reflections about uh, about this work as a whole? Well, uh, kind of a little background on that. Um, <clears throat> this was one of the kind of primary texts we used in one of my philosophy classes at the University of St. Thomas uh, called The Search for Happiness. It was um, through the Catholic Studies Department. And so one of the professors uh, used that along with the catechism just to kind of go through the uh, desire, uh, need desire and happiness for in the human person and then there's those cultural elements of life that lead to uh, kind of embracing of suffering and uh, kind of the the need for the individual to uh, kind of find a certain way of peace both with God and within their own life. Um, and you kind of see that play out in Kristen's life. Um, you know, it, it's not it's a trilogy. I think it's a deep kind of meditation on on human experience. Um, that's why it's I think a very profound work. Um, you know, it's not an allegory for anything, but you can see kind of really cool parallels to um, just how, you know, the the search for meaning in one's life, um, the importance of love, the importance of family, all these kind of cultural realities, the importance of religion. Um, these are weighty questions that have to be resolved in the individual. Mm -hmm. And certainly it doesn't exist in a vacuum uh, without that, uh, you know, in, uh, without that religious um, uh, undertone. So that makes it uh, definitely applicable to any interested uh, Catholic reader. And the setting, as you mentioned, of uh, 14th century Scandinavia, this is a good couple hundred years before the Protestant Reformation. So there isn't that kind of dynamic in place, at least in the, uh, the setting of the, uh, the events of the novel. Right, and one thing that I like about the book is that there is so much about faith in it. These are people who practice their faith, 
And uh, one thing that, that I just find so exasperating is actually the selfishness of the protagonist. And I will say this about her. She owns what she is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she has made that decision, and she knows she's going to have to live with it. And that, that's going to mean suffering down the road. Okay. Um, any follow-up thoughts to that particular point, Father Slattery? Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of, I mean, in the three parts of this, this work, uh, you kind of see the resolution of that, that reality of, of the willfulness. Um, you know, there's that sense of pride and impetuousness that is in Kristen that ultimately, um, you know, she has to work through, uh, it has to be kind of through suffering, purified and brought to kind of some um, resolution, which ultimately at the end, I mean, hopefully we'll get to talk about that in further segments. Um, but uh, in the end, it is an ability to love with a depth that is true and experience um, kind of profound acts of charity that bring her um, bring her peace. Um, but it, it starts off on a road of a very, very prominent suffering. Okay. So if for those who are just joining us here on Real Presence Live, we are visiting with uh, our regular literary guests, Nancy Gord and Father William Slattery, about uh, a trilogy, and, and particularly the first volume of it, uh, called The Reef, uh, from Kristen Lovren's daughter, this uh, epic uh, historical novel by Sigrid Unset, uh, Norwegian author from the early 20th century. Um, before we step aside for a break here, what uh, other major themes really emerge, um, especially in that, uh, especially in the first portion in in the reef that you'd want to point out to us? I think, uh, like one of the interesting things I always find is that uh, <clears throat> just the I mean, we talk about this a lot, especially in the church of like the how do you grasp and can maintain kind of the, the seed of faith in your children um, as they grow. And I think this is a really great kind of novel to see kind of that struggle, because you have kind of a delight of family life. You have kind of some very st- great stability that's there, a very pious religious family, and yet the individual uh, who has everything can turn away from that. There's that kind of struggle that's there. So I think that's one of the interesting themes that uh, Sigurd Infant kind of draws out. Uh, yet the importance of faith in one's life, um, even if it's rejected for a time, it always comes back in different ways. Sure. Another thing that I noticed is that this kind of assumption by Kristen and Brother Edwin, who shows up throughout the story, the wandering monk, uh, that we are all sinners by our nature, but that does not excuse our behavior, as in, Mm -hmm. well, I have sinned, and I know it, but everybody else does, too. And actually, there's a point in the story where Brother Edwin kind of admonishes Christians, saying, no, you look to the good people and emulate them. You don't excuse your behavior by looking at those who have sinned. So maybe when we come back on the other side of the break, we could talk about why this particular part is called the wreath, and what what is mm. the wreath, and what does that signify? Yeah, because yeah, that's a big big theme as well. That's right, a big right. part of that narrative. Yep. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. As we're looking at uh, the the events, especially in the early life of uh, the early life of Kristen. So we are speaking about the um, uh, historical novel Kristen Lovren's daughter, and especially the uh, first portion, the wreath, with. Um, 
uh, with uh, Father Slattery and Nancy Gord, and we will continue by looking at those particular themes uh, and expanding those a little bit more within the first portion of this book. And we'll join uh, we'll join back with them and and uh, ask you to stick with us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday with Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross, priest of the Diocese of Fargo. At the top of the next hour, we will have our Straight Talk segment, and we would love to hear from you. You can join the conversation by calling 877-795-0122, and uh, we'll be happy to hear from you and uh, the questions that you may have for us. Right now, we are talking about this um, particular section, the first section of the Kristen Lovren's Daughter trilogy called The Wreath, and uh, it might be good to just kind of start from there, talk about the title of this first book and what the what that symbolizes, what the importance of it is. So whichever one of you wants to uh, jump in and, and address that. Yeah, I can uh, jump in there. Um, so the, the, the title of the wreath comes from <clears throat> one of the, the symbols of the uh, kind of Catholic Norwegian uh, tradition of marriage, which was a, a bridal wreath that uh, virgins would wear uh, coming to their, um, on their bridal day. And, uh, and so it kind of, uh, the title and that virgin bridal wreath is a symbolism of that kind of arc of this part of Sigrid's um, her, her epic, which is this kind of loss of innocence and childhood, um, because it just really is uh, kind of getting from her birth all the way into this uh, kind of really tragic moment in which she um, is assaulted and then is sent to a monastery and then basically falls in love with this uh, kind of rascal, <laughs> the best way it word before him, uh, named Erland. Uh, and the Shiansula basically in eloping with him. And then years later, uh, after kind of the tension is in a real way kind of resolved between her and her father, um, they marry even though she's um, with child. And so she kind of wears this crown as a sign of uh, of pride. Is <laughs> kind of, uh, again, this uh, this willfulness of just her, her wanting her way and the struggle with her family and then the circumstances of her life. Okay. There, there really is a sense that, uh, you know, you need to complete the trilogy because the, the, this first part ends with her not, not being redeemed, really. I mean, you know, like, right. like uh, pride is a good word there to use to describe her. Well, and it, I think that now these books came out a year apart. I think. This one, the wreath came out in 1920, then the wife in 1921, and uh, the cross in 1922. Now, the author is a Nobel Prize winner for literature, and I think she won it in 1928, I believe. But uh, what I like about her writing is that as soon as you finish that first book, I want to start the second one. I want to find out what happens, because... She has made choices, and you want to see how the consequences play out. Because her husband, as passionately as she loves him, and uh, is devoted to him in many ways, he, he is very faulty as a man. I think he has noble lineage. Uh, and she refers to him as a knight, but he's not literally a knight. I thought it was interesting that if you wear silver you're not a knight because knights wear gold spurs. Oh. But 
Uh, yes. I mean, he's a very faulty person, and you talk about the political instability or the situation of Norway in the 1300s. That comes even more into play in the subsequent books. But yeah. uh, her, yeah, her innocence or is represented by the wreath. And, of course, she's no longer a maiden at the time of her marriage. And uh, one of the, the saddest things, I believe, and, and again, I spoke with you before we went on air, whether his name is pronounced Arn or Arnie, but her childhood friend who truly loves her, and he actually dies defending her honor. And one thing about Kristen in terms of how she should honor his memory, I think she bought a pair of shoes and then when she was living at um, the convent. And she goes, oh, I was going to use that money to honor Arne. But now maybe I have enough left over for a candle. And (laughs) she kind of forgets about this young man who truly loved her and died defending her honor. And at that time, though she had been attacked, she was still innocent, uh, so she did have honor to defend. Not that much later, <laughs> that wouldn't it, have been the case. It is interesting, like the parallels in Sigrid's own life and how it comes out in her literature. You, you mentioned that she was Nobel Prize winner, and she actually used that that prize to help um, the, uh, to work against the, what the Nazis were accomplishing, yeah. and mm-hmm. even at the time when when um, she won that award, she won that award because she's willing to deal with themes at a time that nobody else would touch. And at first, th- these books were actually kind of rejected by the literary world because they yes. were, they were considered too um, I, I don't know if risque is the word or what or dealing with mm-hmm. too mature provocative, themes, provocative sure. themes, yeah. and and she always she always defended it. You know about she would talk about how well. I, I write about love, uh, the, the kind that is more like lust, or the, the kind that mm-hmm. you're going to experience in this world, you know, that's broken. So, so it is interesting, and, and at the same time, she, her own journey was about conversion towards um, the fullness of faith. And so it, it really, and I think that's why the, the novels are so appealing, because uh, your average person can really relate to the struggles that are happening in, in the characters. Yeah. Absolutely. And her father, who loved her dearly, and her mother, who, who loved her as well, she's just, because of different things that have happened in her own marriage and in her married life, isn't as demonstrative in her love. I mean, Kristen is the apple of her father's eye and uh, defends her until at the very end when she is married, and I, there's this whole kind of ritual of people going up to the bridal loft, and he sees in Kristen that she has already known her husband in yeah, the physical yeah. sense, yeah. and it, it devastates him. You know, the other thing, too, again, the parallels in real life, uh, Sigrid's parents were atheists. She grew up agnostic, and it, the parallel is kind of like the transition from the Viking culture to the Christian culture. And her own journey to faith, you know, and and you just see, I, I mean, it, it's amazing how, and she even said that in her own life, that she she was not ashamed to tap into real life experiences, to bring it in, to make literature come come alive or make it real. Um, yes, the, the, and then I think that comes across in the actual story about how, like say, how real, or maybe the word might be raw, 
uh, you know, like mm-hmm. the the experience. And now she's able to t- tap into that that Norwegian. Um, what do you say? Culture is that the right word for? Like, off air, I was asking Father Slatter. He's like, "Is it really as violent as they portray?" It? And, and <laughs> yeah, maybe if you want to kind of weigh in on that particular topic, Father. Yeah, well, I think like that's one of the powers of this book is just that it does capture real experience um, and it's very relatable. Um, you know, while none of us live in kind of a medieval culture that is uh, kind of always at battle, uh, kind of very you know fragile, like we are are often caught up in circumstances. I think that's the relatable experience. And, you know, Father Lefford asked me, yeah, what did that period have been, you know, as, as violent as uh, as it seemed? And it's like, well, if you look at, especially at the history, it, yes, it would have been. It just was rife with, uh, <clears throat> again, uh, right, right after kind of the Viking invasions ended and you have uh, kind of a period of growing stability that happens right before the plagues. Uh, and so it just was a lot of... Uh, you know, small communities that were growing, um, kind of people you can see in the medieval period, um, farmers are gaining some kind of wealth, yet it's very uh, fragile and tangible, like fragile and easily lost. Um, but I think the you know, kind of power in that is you see, like, why, you know, Sigrid, I think, chose that as a backdrop. Not only was it important for a family, but it's just, uh, again, like, the circumstances create the impetus for making decisions in life. Um, and that's, I think, what is so relatable to each one of us is, like, if you look back at the decisions you make in your past, there's so much of the environment that's in part of that. And uh, I think the beauty of the drama of it is you see in, in Kristen's life, like, the role of her family, the role especially of her small kind of farming community, the role of faith. These things uh, kind of create a stability that among her decisions in her life, which in the wreath are pretty poor decisions, she's pretty self-oriented, give her the stability of what to fall back on as she kind of sees her life play out in a way that she doesn't desire. Mm-hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left before the segment ends. Um, any just kind of final um, uh, things, that maybe with regard to kind of a, a, tar- a target audience, um, those uh, uh, for whom this book might be most um you know, m- m- most suitable, uh, Nancy, if if, if uh, that comes to mind? Well, I do think it works for an older reader. I, I would say perhaps older high school students and beyond, because I really think it helps to have life experience when reading this, and uh, also lovers of historical fiction. She does a very, very good job with time and place. And I guess it depends on the translation that you read. I happen to be reading a very comfortable one. But uh, those lovers of that time and place, uh, people who are interested in the role of women in society throughout the centuries, and, uh, and of course, those of faith. Right. I think this uh, th- this work really has uh, the um, ability to give people a window into um, a very different kind of experience. So that makes it uh, that makes it enticing as well. 
Um, Nancy and, and Father Slattery, thank you so much for taking time with us. And um, we were uh, considering possibly continuing on with this uh, trilogy the next time that we visit with the uh, second portion uh, called The Wife. So yeah. um, we're, uh, we're going to look forward to uh, diving into this uh, a little bit deeper and, and some of the themes that, uh, that intersect with it. So thanks again, as always, for taking the time to visit with us today. Of course. Thank you all. Yeah. And thank you, fathers. And good to hear from you, Nancy. Good to be back. Yes. Wonderful to have you back. Yes, yes, it's great to have you back with us, Father. And, uh, you know, it's amazing when you look, Father Leffer, at the calendar. We're only slightly more than an, a month away from the start of another school year. Yeah, July 4th mm-hmm. is over. Summer's almost over. School's almost back. <laughs> so en- enjoy the State Fair. Enjoy all these, these last hurrahs before we, <laughs> we, we head back. So A lot of last hurrahs <laughs> are going to be on people's schedules yeah. here as we're, as we're looking at it. But uh, um, when we come back at the, after this uh, top-of-the-hour break, It will be time to hear from you on our Straight Talk segment on Real Presence Radio, 877-795-0122. And we'll do that after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. 